0: Well, hey, Hope City, it's great to be with you. We are continuing our series, You Mad Bro, looking at the things that made Jesus mad because we want our hearts to beat with Jesus' heart, to love what he loves, to cry over what he cries, and to get upset about what made him upset. And last week we uh, talked about and and compared in interpersonal conflict how we get entrenched in our rightness and we get angry about what we're right in and they're wrong in. Our rightness versus Jesus' passion for reconciliation. This week, we're looking at uh, how we get angry trying to maintain our appearances versus Jesus' passion for authenticity and being authentic in our our spiritual endeavors. Now, what do I mean by appearances? What comes to mind when I say that word, appearances, our, our desire to maintain that appearance? It's the presentation, the exterior, it's the outward, right? It's what everybody sees and perceives about us. Uh, The the masks sometimes that we put on, the facades that we put up, things of that nature. And we can feel this tremendous pressure to uphold that appearance, that presentation. That We've got to live up to this standard because our appearance is so interconnected with our identity. That how we look, how we are presented determines whether or not people will like us, and will they affirm us, will they accept us, will they believe in us, will they like us, right? And and that feeds our identity. Am I loved? Am I known? Am I cared for? Am I remembered? Am I noticed? All of this stuff. And so we feel this tremendous pressure to maintain our appearances. You ever felt that pressure? Think about a time when you felt that pressure to uphold or maintain an appearance, and it's caused you to get angry to try to uphold that. Anything, uh, simple stuff, trying to Maintain this presentation of perfection, and and we want new stuff. How many of you love new stuff? I love new stuff. And and new stuff and uh, name brand stuff, man, it just comes with this, this idea or this concept built into it that if I have stuff, right, then I'm presenting this appearance of newness and being unblemished and being perfect and perfectionism and all that. And then you spill juice on the couch. Then somebody dings your door, right, at the parking lot or things like that. We get what? We get angry not really about the door. It's that our appearance of perfection has just gotten dinged. We get angry about not getting what we want, the name brands that we desire. We get frustrated with when we can't afford it or or somebody doesn't buy it for us. Uh, We we get angry about those sorts of things because we're trying to build up this identity, build up this perception of what we have is reflecting who we are. What about uh, even... Things like Instagram and taking photos and posting photos on social media. I think this perpetuates the problem, by the way, because we're scrolling through everyone's highlight reel. Meanwhile, we know our own blooper reel in the midst of taking that photo, right? You post a photo on, on Instagram, and it looks glorious. It's got a nice filter to it. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's looking at the camera. Everyone seems happy in that picture. But we have... No way of showing also the 75 other photos it took to get people to actually smile. You ever try to take a group photo with small children? Getting them to smile sometimes is like negotiating with a a hostage. You know, it's just like, come on, would you just smile? Smile, smile! Look at the camera, look at the camera. Ah, Everybody, ah, ah, smile, ding! And then it's boom, back to anger. It doesn't capture on Instagram all the frustration and the tantrums and the yelling and the tears and the disappointment, and that's just coming from dad, not to mention everything that's come from everybody else. But the problem is is that we are trying to uphold this appearance, whether it's on social media, whether it's with our stuff, whether it's in real life, and we feel that pressure. But I don't think that pressure is just on our physical appearance or our material appearance or our social appearance. I think it's also in our spiritual appearance. This pressure to look and sound and appear to be very spiritual people oh they're they're a holy person, they're a Christian they're 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 spiritual, they're godly. We feel this pressure that we have to present that because we go to church because we we call ourselves Christians, we feel this pressure to uphold that and to present that and have that outwardly expressed. and we're going to look at this moment in Jesus ministry when he corrected a, a group of people, people who Their spirituality was driven by upholding an appearance, living up to a certain spiritual exterior. And the danger of that is that we will sacrifice our spiritual authenticity for the sake of our spiritual appearances. Say that again. We will sacrifice our spiritual authenticity for the sake of spiritual appearances. We're going to look at a text coming out of the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 11, we'll see when Jesus, in this very famous moment, clears the temple. And we'll see that this moment of him clearing the temple is bookended by him uh, having an interaction with a fig tree. And so we're going to look at this, see him clearing the temple, and before and after that, he has this moment with a fig tree. Let's jump in in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. So he reached out and he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, "'May no one ever eat fruit from you again.'" And the disciples heard, this, heard him say this. So what do we see just in these few sentences? Jesus walking along with the disciples. He's a little hungry. He's a little angry now. So he's hangry. Yeah, Jesus got hangry. And he reaches out to this fig tree. It appears to be very fruitful. appears to be in great health. But there's no fruit. There's no figs. And the appearance doesn't align with what he expects Right, And so there is a lack of fruitfulness even though there's an appearance of what should be fruitfulness. And so Jesus condemns the tree and the disciples are like, what just happened? Why, why Jesus, why did you like, exercise heavenly power to condemn a tree? Well, let's take a look. In verse 15, we're going to continue on. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches And then evening came, and they went out of the city. So, very famous passage, Jesus clearing the temple. And we see, as he walks in, he sees animals being sold. This was very customary of that time. People needed to make animal sacrifices uh, to have an encounter with God and to, to ask for forgiveness of their sins. And so they'd go on this long journey to get to the temple, and they didn't want to lug along these animals or have to make sure that they stayed pure along the way. And and so what they did is they just waited till they were there. It was way more convenient to just buy it at the temple. And so these guys are selling animals. Oh, you need some doves? You need some sheep? What do you need? And and it made sure that it was convenient, but it also fulfilled all the purity requirements for making that sacrifice. Meanwhile, all of these animals are being sold. Then there's these money changers happening. And these guys are, are changing one currency for another. And the currency that they're exchanging back to people is the specific currency given to them or told to them by the roman empire you have to use this currency within the temple for the temple tax there was a there was like an entrance fee a tax that they had to pay but they couldn't use their normal currency they had to come to the temple and exchange it for a specific currency just to pay the tax and so it would be like this modern update like You come to church and we charge you for communion. Hey, you could bring your own communion, but I'm going to charge you for this really special communion, right? And then, oh, you want to use a Bible? Don't bring your own Bible. Here's a special Bible that I'm going to charge you to buy from me or to borrow from me. Or you want to tithe to the church? Yeah, I want you to tithe to the church. Well, here you go. You don't use U.S. dollars. I want you to use hub bucks. These little dollars that I made up, and I made these for a Christmas party a few years back, Pretty, pretty fun stuff. But we're going to use these hub bucks now to do your tithes. We've got fives, we've got tens, and Jesus is on the hundreds. And you can, you can use these when we pass the offering bucket. You can't use American dollars. And so imagine if you came to our church and we had this big table set up in the foyer to exchange your dollar bills for hub bucks and to, and to take your money to give you communion or Bibles or a, a seat at the table or you know, a seat within the sanctuary. Like that's, that's what's happening. And in the midst of all these transactions, what's really happening is people are are profiting off of people's desire to pursue God. They're coming in to have an encounter with the Creator. They come to pray, they come to worship, they come to repent of their sin, and in the midst of these transactions that are happening, people are using these moments out of their greed and out of their materialism to do what? Say, hey, Joe needs to buy a dove. Normally it would cost him five, I'm going to charge him ten. And nobody said anything was wrong with that. So they would extort and they would take advantage of all these people in their pursuit of God. And amidst all of that that's happening, Jesus gets upset. He walks in and he flips tables. You're familiar with this part of the story. He's flipping tables over. He chases them out. Some of the gospels say he grabbed some rope and went full Indiana Jones and started whipping people. Get out of here. Go, go, go. Right? And he's clearing them out. And, and what happens is the crowd, imagine that church time imagine church that day people are coming to do their thing and just go to the temple and all of this and then jesus comes in and causes this ruckus and 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 all of this disruption happens and it says that they're amazed they're in awe they're hearing him teach and they're just amazed by this but they're also the 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 words used here are also stupefied they're just like what is happening right this awkward moment you can almost picture somebody in the crowd like And then you have the religious leaders watching all of this happen. And they're watching the crowds be amazed by him and in awe of him and everything that's going on. And it says that they began to be fearful of Jesus, the authority that he was taking on, the position he came in. What authority does he have to come clear the temple? Who, who does this guy think he is? Call this his house. They get upset about this. They get angry about this. They wanted to kill Jesus for this. It says that they go on to plot his death after this moment. Why? Because he's disrupting the appearance of their spirituality. Their spirituality was driven by all of this appearance stuff, of these sacrifices and the movement and the hustle and bustle. And you have all of this that's happening. And Jesus came in and disrupted that. Then let's pick up in verse 20. Mark 11, verse 20 through 21. It says, in the morning as they went along, they came along that fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, like I said, this story bookends the clearing of the temple, so we've got to look at it in its context. But what you see is the same tree that wasn't fruitful is now dead. It appeared to be fruitful, it wasn't fruitful, and now it's dead. And and the very temple that looked fruitful, had a hustle and bustle about it, wasn't being fruitful. It was being greedy and it was being malicious and it was becoming what Jesus referred to as a den of robbers. He's quoting from the prophet Jeremiah with this phrase. And he's not condemning and and, and talking specifically all about the the, uh, financial profiteering that's taking place. But he's also talking about this has become a safe refuge for people uh, that are are evil and corrupt and dishonest and hypocritical religious people that are looking to, to take advantage of other people who lacked sincerity. He's saying it's a den of robbers, this, this safe refuge place for people to come and hide and have no consequence for their actions, no accountability for their actions. And Jesus is saying, this isn't right. This is a place to come get right with God. You're just coming and hiding. You're coming and saying, all of my transgressions are okay. I don't need to change anything. Jesus is looking at this and saying, something is off. But the same thing happened as the fig tree. Fig tree looked fruitful, wasn't fruitful, condemned temple looked fruitful wasn't fruitful and Jesus does what he clears it out he condemns it because what was going on in the temple what was happening with the fig tree let's look at this for a second let's think about this he's he's condemning a fig tree he's cleaning out this temple but for what why does this make him so angry Because he's not like anti-plant and he's not anti-building. Why is Jesus mad? It's because these things symbolize the hearts of the very people he's around. That their hearts are are settling for a spirituality that created an artificial appearance. This superficial appearance of spirituality that says we've got it all together. We're holy people. We're spiritual people. We're God-fearing people. We go to church, we do the right things, we check the box on our Facebook account, we posted a verse on our Facebook. Man, we are good, we've created this artificial appearance of depth and busyness, and Jesus is looking at it and saying, but you're dead, you're empty, you're hollow. It's ineffective, and that's what makes him mad because this, this appearance-driven spirituality is hypocritical and it's dangerous. And so it starts with this moment of cleansing. This is kind of the the catalytic moment, the turning point. The trajectory was going one way, Jesus walks in on the scene and he changes things up, right? He cleanses the temple to do what? Get their attention. Hey guys, pay attention, look at your sin, look at your corruption, look at your hypocrisy and let's repent of this. Let's no longer go down this path. But today he's not clearing out gardens. He's not condemning the plants in your garden. He's not condemning the the sanctuary that I'm standing in right now. What is he wanting to clean out? What is he wanting to point out? He's wanting to clean your heart. He's wanting to start with our heart. Jesus is passionate about cleaning our heart, and it's the cleaning of our heart that is the catalytic moment for change in us. Can our heart Begin to experience the same purge and cleansing and and excitement, that passion that Jesus has for cleaning out the temple. He has that same passion for cleaning out your heart. In Matthew 23, 26, he calls out the Pharisees in their blindness, in their hypocrisy, in their brokenness, in their emptiness. And he says, blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. He's calling out the religious people the appearance-driven, spiritual, religious people. And what does he say? Start with the heart. You've got to start with the heart. Start with the motives, the desires, the insecurities, the fears, the doubts, the sin. All those hidden parts of our life that we keep concealed within our heart. That's where Jesus wants to start. He doesn't want to start on changing your behavior. He doesn't want to start on making you a better person. He doesn't want to start on your appearance. What does he want to start with? Was wants to start with your heart. Asking for forgiveness for what's in your heart. Allowing him to purge what's in your heart. Allowing him to align what's in your heart so that we can engage from the inside out. Jesus is passionately purging to bring about a greater authenticity to our faith and to empower us to be fruitful. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus is passionate about purging to bring a greater authenticity to our faith and empower us to be fruitful. That word authenticity is the thing that Jesus is all about here. In, 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 in comparison with appearances and this kind of hollow, hypocritical faith, the opposite of that is an authentic faith. A genuine, honest, aligned trueness in our faith. That's an authentic faith that Jesus is striving for in our lives. And it's interesting, that you see this and, and what Jesus is all about when it comes to authenticity, man. He wants authenticity in his followers, that, that genuineness when he's questioned, like, hey, Jesus, why are you hanging out with all these sinful people, right? He's hanging out at, at Matthew's house. Matthew's just like throwing this big shindig and, and everybody's hanging out and they're wondering like, why are you here? These are terrible people. From the outside, their appearance is terrible, Jesus. Why are you with them? And he says what? He says, sick people know that they need a doctor. Authentic people know that they have a heart that needs Jesus. They have a greater awareness of their brokenness, their flaws, their issues, their sin. Isn't that a great promise right there? The idea that, man, oh man, if we can begin with an authentic authentic spirituality, an authentic faith, we begin to have this awareness that I need Jesus. I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus to forgive me. I need Jesus to cleanse my heart, purge my heart, address the issues of my heart. I need a doctor. I am sick. And that's where he starts. He doesn't start with them on the outside. He doesn't hang out with prostitutes and drunks and all these people and say, hey, quit all your behavior. No, he starts with their heart because he wants them to have an authentic, driven faith, an authenticity in their faith and that authenticity is going to propel them towards fruitfulness. Authenticity will propel them to doing something and being a life that is fruitful. Fruitfulness can be a couple of different things. One is we can bear fruit that is the characteristics of God, the character of God bubbling out of our lives, patience, compassion, goodness, love, selflessness, sacrifice, generosity. Like, we want these things. I want to be a humble person. But the only way to develop that is you got to start with the inside. You can't reverse engineer that. You can't be a generous person just by starting with your behavior. You've got to examine your heart. Why am I a stingy person? Why am I a selfish person? I can't be a compassionate person if I don't first address the issues going on in the heart. And that's what Jesus is getting at when he talks about authenticity and all of this. And when he's addressing in Matthew 23, he addresses the religious leaders who are trying to reverse engineer it. They're worried about appearance. Thinking that if I fix the appearance, I'm gonna fix the heart. And he says, nah, you got that broken. And this is what he says in Matthew 23, verse 27 and 28. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead people's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear, there's that word, you appear to be people as righteous, But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. In this passage in Matthew 23, he's comparing them to cemeteries. Yeah, you got well manicured lawns, you got beautiful flowers, you've cleaned everything up on the outside, but below the surface, what's happening? Decay, nasty, brokenness. Your heart is corrupt, man. You've never cleaned it up. You can't reverse engineer generosity, kindness, compassion, the love of God, the joy of God. You can't do that. You've got to allow Jesus to start with the heart. And what happens is if if we would allow him to deal with our heart, wow, we begin to see transformation. But our hearts are so crowded with selfishness and greed and materialism and insecurity and fear and doubt, all of these things. There's no room Right? It's like when you got to purge a dresser drawer. You got dresser drawers you need to purge because you can't fit any more laundry in there, right? You got to go in and you got to look at that laundry and say, "Oh, that doesn't fit anymore. Oh, that's ripped or painted on. I got to get rid of that. Oh, that's out of style. We need to get rid of those things." Right? Whatever it is, you've got to you've got to purge some of those clothes out of the drawer so that new clothes can go in. Well, Jesus wants to purge our hearts so that something new can go in. He wanted to purge the temple so that something new could be ushered in, an authenticity, a fruitfulness, an effectiveness. And that fruitfulness is not just, oh, the characteristics of God come out of me. That is a huge part of it. But a fruitfulness could also be making disciples. To see that we are called to go and make disciples, right? Jesus says in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey my commands, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, we are driven to do that. We are commanded to do that. That is our mission, to do that, to go and make disciples. But if our heart is driven by appearance, if our faith is driven by how I feel, how I look, what I get out of it, what kind of disciple am I going to make? What kind of disciple am I going to raise up around me if my spirituality is all driven by the affirmation of other people and earning that affirmation, if my spirituality is all driven by what I get from God, how it makes me feel, I'm going to live a life in that hypocrisy that where my words and actions are incongruent with my heart and my motivations. And I'm going to begin to create some very poisoned Kool-Aid that I'm going to be passing around saying, Hey, come drink this. And I'm going to give a contaminated gospel to people. And I'm going to raise up followers who aren't really in alignment and authentically pursuing Jesus. They're pursuing some contaminated version that I've created. And Jesus calls out the religious people for doing this very thing. In Matthew 23, verse 15, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Now, let's just pause there. These words of Jesus are not a compliment, all right? Jesus is referring to the religious leaders that had begun to raise up followers, disciples, but they weren't true disciples of Jesus. What were they? They were a distorted disciple. They were following the legalism and the facades and the appearance-driven faith that they saw the Pharisees leading them into. And what he's saying is he's calling out the religious leaders and he's calling them what? Sons of hell. Boom. That's not a compliment. That's something you don't say when you're happy, right? Jesus is upset about this. He's calling them sons of hell, right? And what is he saying? the very disciples that you are going to raise up out of your distorted faith, out of your appearance-driven faith, is going to be what? He says, they will be twice as much a son of hell as you are. They are going to be worse than you. And, and I mean, that should, that should rattle their cages. I don't know that it really did, but it, it should rattle their cages, and I think it should rattle our cages. Because with a, a disingenuous faith, With an appearance-driven faith, we're going to create distorted disciples. We're going to lead people away from Jesus. We're going to give them a contaminated gospel. And I'll tell you what, I think that's what made Jesus so mad. That's what made him upset. That their hypocrisy, that the appearance of fruitfulness but the lack of fruit, the distortion of the gospel message, all of these things, it's making Jesus mad because they're leading people away from God and Jesus came to bring a clear path towards God. And when you contrast his his correction of the religious leaders with what he tells the disciples, he tells the disciples in John 15, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You're gonna bear fruit. Now, often I read that and I think of bearing fruit as producing fruit. But bearing fruit is just simply carrying the weight of it. You're going to hold on to it. You're going to see it. And what does he say? You're going to bear fruit that will last. You're going to see life change in people. You're gonna see people experience the love of God and the forgiveness of God and their lives are gonna be transformed and it is not temporary. It is not about appearances. It is not about social hierarchies. It is not about any of that stuff that the Pharisees were all caught up in. It is not about this spiritual appearance or facade or masquerading. It is about what? It is about fruit that will last. It is about eternity. You're gonna go make disciples like eternity matters. You're gonna go make disciples that are gonna spend eternity in heaven. That's a true disciple, not a distorted disciple like the Pharisees were raising up. Jesus is passionate about you and I connecting with God, and he is passionate about other people connecting with God, too. And so today, as we talk about this, I just want to wrap with this this couple of questions, all in the context of this idea that Jesus is passionately purging to bring a greater authenticity to our faith and empower us to be more fruitful. So I want to ask a couple questions. What does Jesus want to clean in me? I want you to ask that of yourself. What does Jesus want to clean in me? The heart within me that needs to be cleansed, needs to be purged. What areas does he want to clean house? To point out and say, let's deal with that. Let's address this. And am I willing to go about it with the same passion and zeal and enthusiasm that Jesus had when he went and cleared the temple? I think in reality, there's a lot of areas of our life that we know we need to change and a lot of areas that we know we need to start to make uh, make more authentically accessible to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, we need to deal with this. We know we need to deal with that area of our life, but we don't go about it with passion. We don't go about it with excitement or zeal or or, or, or any of that kind of Emotion that Jesus exhibited in the temple—it's more of a begrudging, like, "Yeah, I know I need to deal with this, but I really don't want to." But to look at—if my heart is like that temple, there's things crowding out what God wants to do. There are things distracting. There are things that are are, are corrupting. There are things that I've compromised in, and God wants to clean house to bring health. He wants to bring authenticity, he wants to bring a greater fruitfulness. What areas of my life does he want to clean? What areas of my life have have I been spiritually active but not investing my heart? Where's my heart been lacking? You've been caught up in the busyness of being a Christian, but, but your heart's been disconnected the whole time. Where are those areas of our life? What areas of my life have I been passionate about starting, but yet I haven't started? it? It's time to clean house. It's time to purge some areas. It's time to allow Jesus to begin to heal and to forgive and to restore. And it starts with our heart. Let's pray. Jesus, right now I pray that we would be honest with you. We would be authentic with you. No longer... Do we want a faith that is about presenting a clean image? We don't want a faith that is about perfectionism or or worried about what other people think of us. God, we want to bring our heart to you right in this moment And, and the areas of our heart where we're fearful, we're scared, we're insecure, we're broken. I pray that we would stop pretending and that you would forgive us, you would heal us, you would cleanse us. Jesus, may we start there. That we repent of our sin. Church, even if it's the first time for you to do this or the first time in a long time, I just want to pray for you. Uh, if that's you, would you just, would you let us know? Would you, would you allow us to walk with you in that journey? We just care about you and we know This is really tough stuff to be honest with Jesus about, and it's really tough to be honest with other people about. But God, I pray for a courage right now for those of us that need to just step out in in, in honesty and truth and authenticity. That we would be vulnerable, honest with you, and honest with others. God, we want to follow you for all the days of our life. We want to be fruitful for the things of your kingdom and not our kingdom. We care about you more than we care about anything else, God. Set our hearts to be in alignment with your heart. In your name we pray, amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.